You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. A few months ago, maybe, maybe a bit longer, Kyla and I watched a movie called Unbroken. And um, <clears throat> it's a true story about a man named Louis who was drafted into World War II. And he was um, an airman um, in World War II. I think he was drafted in about 1943. Prior, prior to being drafted as an airman in, in World War II, he was um, a pretty normal kid, I guess, you know, somewhere in probably 16, 17, somewhere around that, that age. And he was um, maybe a bit older. He was pretty normal kid, other than he had this, this ability to run. He was an incredible um, runner. And so, so, so incredible that, that he was actually going to be in the um, Berlin Olympics before he got drafted into to being an airman in World War II. And so, um, so he had this, this incredible ability, and obviously he had, in a sense, he had to lay that down to go and fight for his country. And um, one day after being drafted um, into, the, uh, into, into World War II to be an airman, they were flying over the Pacific Ocean, and the, um, when they were going over the Pacific Ocean, the plane went down and crashed into the sea. And, uh, and obviously, I'm, I'm making a really long story, a really long book, short. But, so they went crashing into, crashing into the sea. And uh, for 47 days, he and two others survived, actually, one did pass away on uh, at sea, but him and two others survived 47 days at sea. Um, they pretty much had nothing. I know in the movie it shows that they maybe had a bit of chocolate and a tiny bit of water at the very beginning, and then they had nothing, nothing at all. So for 47 days. So against all odds, they had no food, they had no water, they had, um, they had to fight off sharks, they like in they actually fought off a shark in the movie it's real real deal um and they had to like survive a significant amount of storms so you would think okay at that point that would be as much a person could handle 47 days i mean that would just be horrific but then it says or as a, as you're watching the movie they end up getting captured and they get captured by the japanese and at that time, that was not a good thing to happen. And so, just when things couldn't get any worse, they got worse. And so, I don't know how how long it actually was, probably at least a year or so. Um, they were P- POWs in these Japanese camps. And in that time, they were completely, um, especially... Um, what's his name again? Sorry, uh, Louis. Especially Louis. He, um, he got targeted. And one of the reasons why he got targeted was somehow the, one of the main officers for this, for the, that was in charge of this POW camp, um, found out this Louis character was, um, an amazing runner, an amazing guy, and that he was actually an Olympian. And so he decided, I'm gonna make this guy's life a living hell. And so that's what he did. And so he did, unimaginable things to him. He 
he tried to completely destroy him. He he humiliated him. He tortured him. They were just absolutely. It was just cruelty. Is essentially what happened. And I'm sure if you if if any of you have ever watched movies or ever watched um, situations where people have been captured, you you know sort of what are some of the things that can happen to these individuals. They just they they tried to do everything, but one thing that they couldn't do is they couldn't they couldn't break him. Hence the title being unbroken. And so finally the war was over and uh, they set the the Americans were were free. They were free to go. And then uh, Louis passed away in 2014, but not before he went back to Japan to fulfill a dream of running in the Olympics. And in 1998, there was the Olympics in Japan and he carried the torch in Japan. And I'm just going to read something quickly from this book because I watch the movies and Kyla reads the books. So this was this was a letter that he actually wrote to the commanding officer who had made his life a living hell. It says, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live under the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through an evangelistic Billy Graham, through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed, allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at a certain prison. I asked then about you and was told that you probably had committed Harakiri? Yeah, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. He goes on to say, this was the letter that he had written. He folded the letter and carried it with him to Japan. The meeting was not to be. CBS contacted Watanabe and told him that uh, that Louis wanted to come see him. Watanabe practically spat his reply. The answer was no. When Louis arrived in a certain community, he still had his letter. Someone took it from him, promising to get it to Watanabe. If Watanabe received it, he never replied. Watanabe died in April 2003. So this letter, as I, as I read it, it really speaks to the power of forgiveness. This, this guy, to be completely honest, Louis, had every right to, to hold a grudge, to be bitter, to be angry. He had every right to be resentful, but instead he chose to forgive but at the end of the day it was truly made possible only because Christ entered his life I think very clearly in this in this um, in this letter it it really lets you know that up until the moment he encountered Christ 
there was no way he was going to forgive that individual. There was no way that he had it in himself to be able to say, I love you and I forgive you. And I think for so many, that is the reality. That without Christ, it's virtually impossible to forgive someone that's done things to you that is absolutely unimaginable, that is absolutely horrible. And many of us probably have stories. So tonight I want to talk about forgiveness, as is probably very clear right now. Forgiveness is a significantly huge topic. And, um, and, and to be honest, it's not possible to cover every single, uh, like every single angle. Um, it's not possible to speak into depth each area where this topic can relate to in our lives, right? But, but one thing for sure is that God takes forgiveness really, really seriously. And, you know, in the topic of forgiveness is talked about in the, in the scriptures 116 times. And the word is on its own is stated about 56 times. So it's a significant and very important, um, topic to Jesus. So when it comes to forgiveness, we're, I believe that we're not to take it lightly. I'll read, um, in Matthew 18, which is the passage that we're gonna look to tonight. Matthew 18, 21 to 35 is the famous parable of the unmerciful servant. So if you turn to Matthew 18, 21 to 35, actually, I guess it's up here as well. You might need binoculars. I didn't make that very big, did I? Anyways, here we go. So I'm going to read out of the, this is NIV. Um, so the parable of the, of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I give, forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seven, 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned, who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master, everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my father, heavenly father, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So, to be honest, you know, the teachings of Jesus are not possible for us to fulfill without his strength and the Holy Spirit's empowerment and comfort. It's, it, it's, it's impossible 
The ways of Christ may be, may be tough, but, but they're so worth it. And when applied and lived out in our lives, they are the perfect recipe for life. Because God's plan for our lives is always for good. And though the process may hurt, um, though the process may not be easy, the process is is always for the good, for always for our good. And in this, so in this story, we have the king who represents God, um, the servants that represent us, and a fellow servant that represents the people who have wronged us. So there's basically these three, three individuals. We see that a huge debt is forgiven, and a small debt is not forgiven. Broken down, that's what we see. The three main characters, and we see that a huge debt is forgiven, and we see a small debt is unforgiven. And for me, maybe my favorite part is Peter. Peter who thinks that this time he's really going to impress Jesus, right? He thinks this time I'm going to make a huge impression on this guy Jesus. And I, I love Peter's actions because they remind me Maybe they remind you how desperately we need Jesus every minute of every day. And it reminds me to never think that I've arrived. Because Peter, it's like many moments, many times in the scriptures, I think Peter's like, I figured it out. I've got it this time. And then, and then Jesus one-ups him again. Right? There's always something to be learned, um, as disciples. You know, I think of some of the examples like Peter thinking, yeah, I can just kind of, you know, Jesus calls Peter to step out on the water. He's, and it's like maybe he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And then the moment he takes him, takes it off of Jesus, he starts sinking, right? And then Jesus kind of helps him up. And it's like you wonder in that moment if you thought, oh, I, I've got it. Okay. Now I can do it on my own. Right. It's like, yeah, those moments where Peter thought he could do it and then, and then he can't. And then the other moment, Another one is when he, he, uh, he thinks about, um, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter's like, that is not going to happen. No way. No way. I'm not going to deny you. And what happens? He denies him. I mean, it's a little girl that kind of points him out and he's like, Ooh, and he freaks out and he, and he denies Christ. And, um, and then Peter, by the spirit of God, figures out that Jesus is the Messiah, right? God's son. And then five minutes later, Jesus says, I must suffer many things, be killed on the third day, be raised to life. And Peter says, this, this can't happen. This, this can't happen. And then what does Jesus say? You don't have the mind of God, but you have the, the mind of man right now. It's like Peter, throughout the scriptures, he just thinks he's, a, he's got it. I've got it figured out. And then Jesus one-ups him again. And then in this particular case, we have um, this account where Peter says, how many times do I forgive when someone sins against me? And he thinks seven times. That has got to be. That is, that, like, that is way above um, the standard, so to speak. And, um, and so he answers his own question, which apparently I do a lot of the time. I will ask somebody a question and then I'll proceed with an answer. And I, I'm learning that I need to stop doing that. I just need to let them answer the question that I've asked them. But 
he answers his own question, and obviously um, Jesus takes him down a little path of, hey, here's another lesson for you. So back to the story, um, we see this man is um, is forgiven what he's owed, and it was big, right? It was it was a big amount that he was owed. The ten thousand talents he owed then is equivalent to probably you know over a million. Um, million dollars today, probably even more than that. And um, I won't go into all the little details of that, but it would have been um, it would have been impossible for this man to pay, right? It would have been absolutely impossible. It probably, according to like the wages and all those sorts of things back then, it probably would have taken him like over two thousand years to repay this debt. It was absolutely not going to happen. And yet, after he is forgiven. He would not forgive a debt of simply a hundred denarii. And a, de- a denarii was a Roman silver coin. And it was, it was the wage an ordinary laborer was paid for a day's work. And there was about 6,000 denarii to a talent. And this guy owed like 10,000 talents. So it was just the amount that he was forgiven was huge in comparison to what he would not forgive of this other individual. A hundred denarii is equal to a common laborer's wage for for a hundred days. So the the wages for a hundred days' work is not an insignificant amount. In some ways, it's like it was appropriate for him to say, "You owe me a hundred denarii. You like, come on, give me back what is what is owed to me." But when you compare it to what he was forgiven over here, it's like it's just such an insignificant amount, and he should have shown mercy to that other individual. And because he doesn't, he gets reprimanded. To put it lightly, we know in the scriptures, as I just read, it was a little more than being reprimanded. So so what does this parable tell us? So I have a, a few points, and uh, here's the first one. First one is, we have been forgiven far far more than that we will ever forgive. Psalm 103, 10 to 12 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he, uh, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And the truth is that before Christ entered our lives, we were all sinners, every single one of us. The scriptures say that there is no one righteous, no, not one. Not one of us would add it up. We all fall short. And yet Christ still entered our lives and said, I love you and I forgive you and accepted us right where we were at. We may think that we are decent people, and I actually think most of you are. You're all right. You're all right. But at the end of the day, our sinful nature separated us from God. And we all, I think, understand this and get this. And for this reason, God sent his son to live a perfect life so that, so that he could, um, he, he sent his son to this earth to die for our sins. It was, and he lived, Jesus lived this perfect life so that, so that that he could die a planned, undeserved, brutal death. That was, that was the plan. But 
but be raised back to life on the third day so that we could have free access to eternal life. That was, that was God's plan. And through this, we have been forgiven for this, for the things we did in our past, for the things that we may have done for today, and for the things we may do tomorrow. Like the king forgiving this guy of his debt, Jesus paid the price that we could never repay. That's the bottom line. That's the truth. But what, but what happened? The man who received mercy didn't extend mercy to this individual. Joyce Meyer said, Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision we make because we want to do what is right before God. So forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision we make because we want to do what is right before God. I believe that this guy in this parable went with his feelings and not with his experience. He left this encounter with this king completely freed of his debt. And then he switched gears and went into his feeling mode of what somebody owed him instead of relying on this experience that he had. And you know what? I think sometimes we can do that. We can simply forget what Christ has done in our lives, how he has forgiven us of everything, what he has accomplished in our lives, and sometimes we can maybe fall short and start hanging on to grudges or resentment or anger towards other people because of the things that they may have done to us. Quickly, we fall from, we fall into the category of how we feel instead of our experience and our understanding of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so we need to continually remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. When we don't live in that place of reminding ourselves what Jesus did for us, we fall short and we fall into that category of going, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to, I'm not going to forgive this person. And, and so we have to hang on to really closely to what Christ did in our lives. And I think each and every one of us, if we think we've in that place where no, 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 Julian, that wouldn't happen to me. I think we, we need to give our heads a shake because we need to remember that we need Christ in our, in our lives to, to be people that, that walk in forgiveness. The second thing that happens in this parable is um, we will not be forgiven by God if we are not forgiving. In verse 35, the first part of 35, it says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. So I have to be honest, these are the parts of the scriptures that, I, that are really challenging. When I read stuff like that, it's like, oh, that hurts. That, that one isn't very easy to follow. But I believe it needs to be read more from, not from a, void, not from, um, a viewpoint of harshness, but from a, view, from, but from a position of love. When Jesus is sharing this, it's very easy to look at him as just this harsh individual. But what I think we need to do is look at, look at him as this person that deeply, deeply loves us. As Christians, we're called to represent Christ. And so if we're, if we're not people who forgive, we are not being very good witnesses. Right? At the end of the day, 
we hear stuff all the time about how Christians live a certain way and they act a certain way. Or, and in some particular cases, those people that might have that opinion of us, they actually might be very right. Because we're not living as Christ has called us to live. We're holding on to grudges. We're holding on to bitterness. We're holding on to, we're being people that are resentful. We're being people that are angry, whatever it might be. And, and so, but Christ, so, so Christ wants us to, to be in that place where, that we would be forgiving. And, and he's, and he's saying it because he loves us, not because he wants to be harsh. And he's saying it so that we would be the witnesses that he's called us to be. We're called to be little Christs. And he wants us to be a good representation of who he is. The point God is making here is it's not about consequences and punishment, but about remembering that none of us is better than the other guy. We all need his mercy. And I know for me, when I think about it in that light, it sure humbles me and it reminds me of what Christ has done in my life. And the moment I think... Yeah, but you don't know what he did, or you don't know what she said, she said, or you don't know what's happened here, or maybe it has nothing related to you, but it's a, it's your mom or your dad that, that has experienced something that was really harsh or not very nice, and then you just kind of take on their resentment. When we live in that place of just being unforgi- unfor- uh, unforgiving, we are, we ultimately are living in the place that God has not called us to. And, and I, I just think, as I said a few moments ago about, you know, none of us, um, none of us have arrived. And, and you know, for me, again, the, you know, when we, we're no better than the other guy that's walking right beside us and we all need God's forgiveness. We all need his mercy. Mercy essentially means we are not getting what we deserve. We are not getting what we deserve is what mercy means. So why we, why would we, um, expect that or say that that's okay for others? When we, we don't, we're getting what we don't deserve, so why should they deserve anything different or anything less? The third thing this parable teaches us is we should constantly, or we should forgive constantly. So how many times do I forgive when someone sins against me, Peter says. And he says, seven times. And he said this because at the time there was this um, uh, rabbi, uh, rabbinic view that a person needed to forgive someone only three times. And so it's uh, in what's called the Talmud, a collection of Jewish laws that Peter would have known, it said, if a man commits a transgression the first, the second, and the third time, uh, he is forgiven. The fourth time, he is not forgiven. So this is this background, this is this understanding that Peter had. So this time he's thinking, um, well, if I say seven times, that is like significantly more than three times. So this time, yeah, I've one-upped Jesus, but obviously we know it's not. You know, it's like Jesus, actually I'd like to say, but Jesus. It's like just when we think, Oh yeah, here we're figuring this out. It's like, but Jesus steps in. Jesus is that amazing one. He takes what would seem appropriate and completely blow it out of the water. I would think that forgiving somebody seven times is an appropriate place to be. But Jesus says, nah, no, 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 you're to forgive constantly. 
And he does this not because he wants it to be difficult or hard on us or make it so it's impossible, but because he knows how destructive unforgiveness can be. He never wants us to be in a place where we hold on to it. He doesn't want us to, in a sense, self-destruct by holding on to unforgiveness. So Jesus says the place where to live is unlimited forgiveness, to forgive constantly. And he says this because your fellowship flows freely when you're willing to forgive, but it gets blocked by unforgiveness. Your fellowship with God flows freely when you're willing to forgive, but it gets blocked by unforgiveness. Being a forgiving person has a direct impact on your walk with God. That's the bottom line. It has a direct impact with your walk with God if we choose to be a forgiving person or an unforgiving person. The fourth thing this parable teaches us is we should forgive wholeheartedly. In verse 35 it says, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We are only fooling ourselves or hurting ourselves if we partially forgive. And you know, I understand that forgiveness is a process at times. I understand that sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. I get that. But when we surrender it all to God, He is able to give you all that you need to forgive with all your heart. But it requires us to completely, 100% surrender to God and say, God, in and of myself, I don't have the ability to forgive. I don't have the ability to love this person. But I know that with you on my side, with me surrendered to you, I am able to forgive. Another guy said, said this once upon a time. The love of Jesus Christ covers your sins. And it also gives you the power to let other people off the hook. Once again, it's like, it's about Christ being a part of your lives and he gives you that ability to be able to forgive. You've been forgiven and you can forgive others. So I'll just end, I'll end with this and I have this on a, a piece of paper that some of you may want to take away afterwards. But first, first thing is, uh, five things that forgiveness is not. The first thing is that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but it's a choice. And I don't know if I put it up there. I don't think I did. So five things forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And we see that in this story. As soon as that guy went with his feelings, what happened? Right? It, it didn't, it didn't work out well for him. It's a choice. And he made a poor choice in that particular case. So we need to be people that recognize that it's not about how we feel, but it's about making the choice that God calls us to make. Second thing is forgiveness doesn't mean you have to trust that person again. Sometimes, in some situations, you may, over time, be able to trust that person. In other situations, you may, you may just have enough in you to be able to, tr- to forgive them, but maybe never trust them again. Or maybe not allow them to have influence in your life again. So we're called, we're called to forgive, but it doesn't mean we have to simply trust that person again. I pray that in, in some situations that maybe God would allow that to happen where you would trust the person again. But sometimes that process takes a long time, but God still calls us to forgive. Forgiveness, third one, forgiveness doesn't mean 
what they did to you was all right. Sometimes we think, well, if I forgive them, then I'm, then I'm saying what they did was okay, or what he did, or what she did, or whatever happened is okay. But the reality is that it doesn't say what you did was okay. But what it does, it doesn't, it, it's, um, you're, you're not, um, you're not excusing them of their behavior. You're pointing it out saying, this was not okay. You're letting them know that what they did or what she did or whatever it was, that was not okay. So forgiveness doesn't mean what they did was all right. Fourthly, forgiveness doesn't mean you will forget what happened. But through the eyes of Christ, you may see what they did. You know, sometimes I'd, I wish things that have happened to me before where I've had to forgive people, that those memories would be completely gone. But in some particular cases, that just hasn't been the reality for me. But I've still chosen to forgive them. And I still understand that sometimes those thoughts or those whatever are still there. But now, instead, instead of me viewing them with hatred or anger, I see them through the eyes of Christ and I start to go, I see why they did that because this was going on in their life or that was going on in their lives. And now all of a sudden I can look at them differently, look at them from a position of love that Christ has put in my life so that I can, so that maybe I still don't trust them, maybe I still don't want to interact with them, but I know that I'm walking in a place of forgiveness because that's what Christ has called me to do. And I guess the last one is, Forgiveness doesn't mean it will be easy. And I think many of us would be able to maybe, uh, again, relate, I guess, to, to that. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean that it's easy. But it is the right thing to do. And this is what Christ calls us to. And I think when we, when we say, when we do all of these things, forgiveness will allow you to move forward in all that God has for you. Forgiveness ultimately... Um, I guess, I guess the greatest, the greatest lie that we believe about unforgiveness is to think that the other person hasn't moved on. When in reality they have and your, your unforgiveness is only holding you back. And I'm sure many of you have heard that before. But when we think that the other person is just like locked in and they can't go anywhere, because you're holding unforgiveness against them, they've moved on and they've forgotten and they're doing whatever they're doing. But it's it actually is holding you back from everything that Christ has for you. So we need to remember that, that that's a lie, that God calls us to forgive so that you can be released to move in the things that God has for you. The truth is that forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves that allows us to get on with our lives instead of being trapped in the past with bitterness, anger, and resentment. And so, in a nutshell, forgiveness, or the key to forgiveness, is stop focusing on what others have done to you, to me, but start focusing on what God has done for you or for me. It's so easy to get caught up in this trap of, but you, but they did this, and this happened, and that happened, and and I understand there's a, there's a process where maybe we have to go through that and, and, and work through those things. But at the end of the day, the key is remembering what Christ did for us and what, how he stepped into our lives and brought that peace and that joy and hope and destiny in life. And finally, forgiveness 
is a choice that each of us get to make. But according to the scripture, it's not an option. We have to come to a place where we are people that forgive. As disciples of Christ, we are called to forgive one another. That we're called to forgive those that have hurt us, that have done things to us. So let's stand this evening. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.